Hello, and welcome to the July 2009 podcast of Ordinary Means. I'm your host, Sean Nolan, here with Matt Bowling. Hey, Sean. Hey, Matt. And we are here today to answer your questions. We thought it was about time to do another Q&A podcast, and we had a few questions sitting in the queue, as it were. And I think some of these might actually be from a little while ago, but they, they've they been sitting there and we're, we try to faithfully answer all of the questions that you send, uh, either leaving them as comments in the uh, comment section of the podcast, of the blog, or by uh, putting them, I guess, emailing us, for those of you that have our email address. Um, we're fairly easy to get a hold of if you just go to our church websites. There's ways of there are ways of finding us. I suppose there's ways of making us talk too. Is that true? I prefer that people grab a hold of me through email than by the neck. But you know, yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, we're gonna look at a, we're gonna look at three separate questions uh, from two different guys that were left uh, either emailed or left on the blog. And by the way, if you haven't yet discovered, I guess if you're listening to this, you've already discovered that we've moved the site, uh, ordinarymeans.com. The domain is still active. It's going to remain active. Um, you can always access us through uh, that link. But all, all the uh, stuff is going to be taking place, the blog, the comments, the interaction, um, the audio, uh, you, you'll get all that on the blog, which is a WordPress blog. So that's ordinarymeans.wordpress.com. And like I said, if you're hearing this, you've probably already figured that out. Uh, Unless somebody forwarded you the link or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, or if you uh, need to, if you go by feeds, you know, if you do RSS, uh, was that really simple syndication? I think that's what it stands for. We're syndicated? For. We're syndicated. Are you How, saying that we're syndicated? We are syndicated. Can you believe it? I am so in awe. So if you do the syndication thing, if you do the feeds, my wife always says to me, she said, did you check your feeds today? So if you check your feeds, um, which I suppose I feed three times a day normally. Uh, some <laughs> some days I get about four, four and a half feeds. But uh, if you do the feed thing, um, you just go to the... Uh, WordPress site, ordinarymeans.wordpress.com, and you'll get all that info. And I think there's also an email subscription thing. If that's not working, if some of you are subscribed to the email alerts and that's not working anymore, uh, would you let us know on the comments and, um, and we will make sure to fix that. I think that's all the, uh, I think that's all the business, all the announcements. I feel like this is church. Okay, there's the announcements, now we can worship. How about, uh, there's the announcements, now we can podcast. Perfect. First question comes from Lee in North Carolina. And Lee asks this, his is a two-parter. Uh, he's Actually, it's a three-parter. He says, what role do elders, deacons, and lay people in the church have in supporting and ordinary means ministry. And then he, he adds the comment that he is a deacon in his current church. He was a ruling elder in his previous church. And so obviously this has uh, particular significance for him. Uh, I think what we'll do is we'll break that down into those three parts. What role does um, does an elder have? Does a deacon have? Does a, a lay person have? Not that we would make that distinction between a clergy and lay people, but uh, what is the difference in how each of these people would support an ordi ordinary means ministry? And um, at the risk of sounding uh, generic, I think I would start out simply by saying, uh, what is church if it's not an ordinary means <laughs> ministry? So I think a lot of the questions that we're seeking to answer in, the, in, this, que in this question are the answer to how does an elder support the church? How does a deacon support the function of the church? How does a layperson support the function of the church? Which is a great question because we live in a day where the church is not as important as the individual. Mm -hmm. uh, that's changing. Uh, we're going to talk about this, the third question, 
is a question on worship that we're going to do. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more there. Maybe it would help here to point out that, point out the difference between uh, modernism and postmodernism. I think, did we talk about this in the last podcast? Does I can't sound remember. vaguely familiar? We talked about the fact that modernism looks at the individual, and modernism tends to be very individualistic. Postmodernism tends to be very communal. Um, so, therefore, in, in postmodernism, things like global warming are of a concern. In modernism, it's, you know, how, how do I clean the floor? Here's a vacuum. So, it's, it's individualism versus communalism. And that can be good and bad. Uh, modernism gave us, uh, have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which is true, that we need to take individual responsibility uh, we need to examine our hearts, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, before we come to the Lord's table, that there is an individual responsibility as a Christian. Well, postmodernism comes in and says, says, no, it's all about community, to which we say, amen. And this is some, this is a way we can get behind, maybe not postmodernism, but a way we can get, we can agree with the postmoderns and say, yes, community is important. And, and I'm glad you're realizing that. Now let's talk about what that community looks like. So, and what's the true basis for community? Yeah, yeah. How can community actually happen? So, so this question: What is? How do each of these respective individuals uh, support a ordinary means ministry? Is a, really the question: How do these individuals support the church? And the answers to those you find in the scripture. You see what an elder is to do, what a deacon is to do, what a what a um, what a Christian is to do. But having said that, I think what we want to do is um, is break that down a little bit further, and maybe ask how can each of these individuals encourage an ordinary means ministry, which may have been more of what Lee was asking. Yeah, and that's really a different question, isn't it? Because. Um you know, people have different differing views. Typical session um, in a church, uh, you know, set of elders or deacons, um, they're going to have been influenced by different things in their own pasts. They're going to have different visions as to um, should a church grow? How should a church grow? What are we seeking for uh, in the life of the church? What do we think should happen? Do we have an expectation of what God might do here? Um, you know, it is uh, as we've wrestled with before, is it simply a matter of faithfulness, or does the Scripture call us to both faithfulness and intentionality, uh, much like the way the Apostle Paul ministered? So I think that one of the one of the best ways um, that elders and deacons and lay people uh, can support an ordinary means ministry is saying, let's go back to the Scriptures. Let's not try and reinvent what church is supposed to be based on the, the latest faddish wisdom. Let's go back to the scriptures. Let's go back to the wisdom of God in the way that he's put things together. Let's see the way that God worked through the early church. All of us would yearn that what what God did in the early church would happen in our midst. And, and what God did there was not a big mystery. It didn't need a whole bunch of marketing and all kinds of snazzy things. Um it was uh, a due use of the ordinary means, both personally, um, house to house, and in worship. Um, and so the way that, that any uh, officers or people in the church can say is, please give us a biblical ministry. And by that, be willing to embrace everything that's involved in a biblical ministry. Because some people would say biblical ministries, we just meet for church on Sunday and that's it. Um, where it seems pretty obvious to me um, and it seems pretty obvious to me that when you look at the early church, they've met both in large settings and in smaller settings. Um, and that's sometimes in the ordinary means crowd, that's kind of poo-pooed. But I think that that's, uh, that's pretty obvious when you read through Acts that they did both. Yeah, I think that's good, Matt. The, the caveat I would add to that is um, we need to be careful not to see the ordinary means as uh, as just another method. Mm-hmm. Because well I, I think there's a tendency to say, if you just do the ordinary means, you're being faithful and therefore God will, will grow you, 
you know, he'll, he'll do these marvelous things in your church if you just switch to a dependence on the ordinary means. And the, the fact is, God's workings, just, I was just reading this morning in Tozer, um, his book on, the, his book on the attributes of God. What is that mm-hmm. called? Do you remember what that's called? Knowledge of the Holy. Knowledge of the Holy. And I was just reading the chapter this morning on wisdom, the wisdom of God. Mm. And he talks about the fact that God's wisdom, we, we can't even comprehend God's wisdom. Our, our brains couldn't hold God's wisdom. Because mm-hmm. wisdom is the ability to see the end from the beginning, to know mm. both and to know exactly what needs to happen to get from point A to point B. And we will never have that kind of wisdom. Our brains are too small. Our brains are too small. And so, what that tells me is that by doing the ordinary means, by by depending on them, by putting them mm-hmm. as our center, we're saying, okay, God, you you do your work. Now, I may not see you, I may not see revival in my lifetime. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I may see people leave my church because of sin. I may see only a handful of people grow in my lifetime. That's okay. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to get into the habit of saying I'm being faithful. Therefore, I don't have to. Therefore, I couldn't possibly be doing anything wrong because I think that's an error we slip mm-hmm. into as well. Mm-hmm. But there is a sense in which an ordinary means ministry is a trust-in-God ministry. And it's not looking at numbers. It's not looking at what I can accomplish in the short term. It's getting with God's plan for the long term. Mm -hmm. And it's fundamentally, and I think you put it well, Sean, it's fundamentally an act of trust. And that's hard for us. We would much rather trust ourselves. We'd much rather trust other people who have seen, quote-unquote, success. Um, rather than work with what seems very weak. Uh, we pray, we uh, sit under the ministry of the Word personally and corporately. Um, we, we take sacraments. Um, you mean that's it? Yeah. That's how God's always grown His people. And that's how He wants to grow us. So when we use the ordinary means, we're in the right place to be used by God. And isn't that where we want to be? Now, how he uses us is up to him. Um, if we're seeking to be faithful, seeking to be intentional, ministering in our time and our place with the gospel, uh, with his word, prayerfully, uh, we can expect that he'll use us. Uh, to what degree is up to him. Um, but certainly, if we don't use the ordinary means, we ought not to be expect that he'll use us, because we aren't using the tool that he's, that he's given to us. We aren't relying on him. We're... Uh, exerting our own wisdom instead of relying on his wisdom. Yeah. Well, you know, I think we're trying to take the foolishness. We're trying to take the foolishness out of the whole endeavor that we're in. <laughs> we are because it seems foolish. We are because it is. It's foolish to preach a crucified man. What, what kind of message is that? And yet, it's the message that turns over human hearts because we see the love of God on display. We see the justice of God, the wrath of God turned away. The love of God is made away through the Son of God. And um, it's a message that God has to open up people's hearts to and keep opening up their hearts to the wonder of it, uh, that they might grow, even as believers. Paul's response to the Romans in Romans chapter 1 almost could be the response of a man who's been told, hey, get with the modern program. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because right. it is the power of God for salvation. Yep. But you know, I think rightly that's been pointed out too. You know, salvation is used as salvation is something that has occurred, is occurring, and will occur. Is that the gospel is that all the way along? Well, and all by the, the way along. by the simplicity of the ordinary means, we're not suggesting that the Christian life itself is not complex. No. We're simply saying that God has given us a pattern for ministry. That anyone from a you know from a a child to a uh, you know an, an ill uh, person on their deathbed can understand and comprehend that preaching is God talking to me, praying is me talking to God, the sacraments are me uh, interacting with God through 
uh, th- through physical means, f- physical representations uh, that strengthen my faith. Mm-hmm. So I, it's it's very understandable, and I think that's one of the beauties of it, is that God has God comes down to where we are. Mm-hmm. Condescends. Yeah. Yep. yep. I mean, that's what that's what Revelation is. Mm-hmm. Yep. So oh, I yeah, would, at the end, God and man come back together. God comes to man. The uh, <laughs> the incarnation forever. It's yep. fascinating. Yeah. So, so I think maybe just to put a wrap on this one question, I think that the best thing that elders, deacons, and lay people can do in supporting ordinary means ministry is say, we want a fully biblical ministry, and that's all we want. Um, and if our people come to us with that, um, I'm excited, because that's exactly what I want. Well, and to answer Lee's question about the elders, what can an elder do? He mentioned he, he had been an elder and he's serving as a deacon now. I think the, the role, I, definitely what you're saying, Matt, I think that's, that's vital. Um, to put it into the context of the elders and deacons, I think one of the, the best things that elders and deacons can be doing is calling the congregation through their example – I, I think that's vital. These are leaders mm-hmm. in the church. Through Hebrews their, thirteen, exactly imitate imitate their way of their way of life. I don't, let me get the exact quote, but it, it, it's unbelievably convicting and powerful. Yep. What it says about leaders in Hebrews what, what thirteen, what we're being asked to do. But if our example is one of dependence on the ordinary means, and I'm going to tell you what that looks like here in just a second. If we are, we talked about trust just a minute ago. If our example is of a, a man dependent on the ordinary means, that's going to have a huge impact on the way those who are imitating us in the congregation, whether it's those that the deacons are ministering to mm-hmm. whether, you know, through, through physical means, whether it's those who the elders are ministering to through spiritual means. Um, it's an example of dependence. Now, how do we do that? I'm going to call it this. I'm going to say it is calling the congregation to a new Sabbatarianism. Mm. Calling the congregation to a new Sabbath-keeping. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason is this. The, the thing that makes corporate worship different than worship the rest of the week is this is where the ordinary means are primarily called to be. I, I mm-hmm. fully agree they happen... God's means of grace happen throughout our week in all sorts Personally, of ways. Personally, in family Personally, worship. family yep. worship. But that's what makes Sunday special. There's also one other thing that makes Sunday special, and that's that's the corporate nature by which we can be edifying one another. We don't have that always during the week. Mm-hmm. But if this is where the ordinary means happen, then it seems to me our elders and our deacons need to be the first among us who are... Uh, preparing for worship, mm-hmm. faithfully attending worship, mm-hmm. you know, being willing to say, you know what, um, you know, encouraging the people to be there at mm-hmm. worship. It's it's it really uh, to follow the ordinary means is a call to a new Sabbatarianism, to a new and and not a legalistic, you know, no, 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 insert all the rules. And I know that's not what you're saying, Sean, and that's the way sometimes people see it. But um, you use the the title of a book. Um, that I that's been it was mentioned the people's name were mentioned last night um, the Maines um, David and Karen Burton Maines um, and they have a book called Making Sunday Special and um, it's really been lost that we don't view e- even apart from you know can you do this or that in the same controversies that Jesus you know had in his day but is it a day set apart is it a day where we come to feast where we as I pray with my boys that we get to rest and worship and be with God, particularly in public worship, and be with his people. Yes. So we, we view it that way. We um, may, The passage from Hebrews 13, let me read it, and then yeah. I'll, I'll let you come back. Remember, this is Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So if we have elders and deacons, leaders in the church who are growing in their own personal use of the ordinary means and in the corporate use of them, then people have something to imitate. Yeah, that's true. That's it's that's a great 
That's a great verse. It's a convicting verse. Mm, it sure is. The uh, yeah, not when we talk about Sabbath keeping, I think. What what many of us, particularly in Reformed circles, do get into the issues of can I eat in a restaurant or not? Can I play, can I watch the ball game or not? And really, I think we're majoring in the minors. The, mm-hmm. the issue, above all other issues, there is: are you are you at worship? Are you at the ordinary means on Sunday? Mm. And if your church has a Sunday evening service, are you? Again, not legalism. I need grace. <laughs> and I want to delight in I Christ. I want to delight. I need, if, yeah. if, if grace comes through the ordinary means, if they're the ordinary means of grace, if that's right. how God says to me that, that I can regularly get grace, what in the, why in the world would I not be at a worship service of the church? Right. I, um. Unless I don't view myself as needy. If I think I'm self-reliant, basically, if I misunderstand the gospel, then I, yeah, then I'll I will excuse myself. I, I have I've had a period over the last couple of years that I have mourned uh, the loss of everyday worship, and and by that I'm referring to you know this is Calvin's 500th anniversary. Mm. I'm thinking of communities like Geneva, uh, like Luther, where Luther was. Many of these pastors preached to their congregations every day because they were in, they were in a village and there was yep. a, there was an hour where they would leave work or leave the home they'd come to worship the hour would be done they go back to work or to the uh, home it, it kind of gives a different flavor to the lunch hour doesn't it uh, yeah it does it very much does more more than one form of feasting going on there but it says in our culture that not only have we lost that but we've also gone down to one service and maybe if you can't make that service, you can go to a sun- Saturday evening service so that you're not tied up on Sunday. It really says something about our our understanding of the importance of the ordinary means. Mm-hmm. It does. No doubt about it. One other thing that I'm thinking about now is is elders. If you're an elder and you're listening to this, in all the decisions that you make as an elder, are you asking the question... You know, when, you, when you're thinking about when you're planning Sunday schools, deciding who's going to be teaching them, what they're going to be on, when you're helping the pastor decide what, what series he's going to be preaching, um, are you asking the question, uh, will this promote God's means? Mm-hmm. You know, or, or perhaps an event that your church has, or a ministry like a VBS, are you asking the question, Will this promote the ordinary means? And um, are we incorporating the ordinary means in there? I know sometimes churches can get in the habit of having events where there isn't necessarily time to pray, or even just a, a brief reading of Scripture can fit any event. So... We need to be we need to be thinking about that because that says is my dependence on the activity, the event, the program, or is my dependence on the ordinary means? Mm-hmm. Yep. And of course, that's got to be. Uh, we don't want to. Uh, and Sean's not saying this, but I'm just going to clarify it. Uh, we're doing an event this summer that we're calling God's Gift of Music. That's a. Uh, an event where we have a lot of gifted singers in our church, and we're bringing kids in and teaching them how to sing. Are you going to teach but them how to sing, Matt? We're going to teach them, not, not me. Um, but, um, but we're calling it God's gift of music, and that was very purposeful. We don't want just kids to come in and learn how to sing. We want them to learn the biblical storyline and that we were made to sing. And there's a reason we don't sing. There's a way that we can sing again, because we're sure going to sing those in heaven forever. Oh, yeah. So there's a way to do things very intentionally. We uh, This is brand new for us. We've not done this before. Uh, it's different. Uh, I'm excited about it. Um, but it, it, it also has a significant scripture gospel component to it. In fact, it's the whole storyline of the Bible. Um, and in that, we're not only trying to provide a, a, a different opportunity than, say, a typical VBS might be, um, but it's utterly reliant uh, because we don't really have any hope of transforming these kids' hearts 
Uh, we will certainly want their parents to look at it and say, oh, that's interesting. I'd like my kid to learn about God's gift of music. That's interesting. Um, but we want them ultimately to be interested in the one who's given us music, not just in the singing of it. Oh, amen. You know, let me add just testimony to that. Uh, this last weekend, we had a men's retreat uh, up at a cabin uh, on the Clarion River, and uh, all the men were gathered around the uh, around the fire pit with our Trinity hymnals. And uh, on Fri- Friday night, and then again on Saturday morning, uh, just singing, singing mm. to the Lord, you know, taking requests. Uh, just, That's just great. singing to the Lord together. And, you know, we didn't think anything of it. Uh, we've been doing this. In fact, one of the, one of the things that we've implemented is, uh, our men's Bible study because there really is a lack of singing. The, the, we've allowed the world to take singing away from the church and particularly away from the men of the church. Mm. And because um, all the time I hear men saying, I, I can't sing. You don't want me to sing. Well, I don't mm-hmm. really care if you can sing or not. You need to sing because yes. you're, you're commanded to. Right. So so in our men's study on um, Saturday mornings, we normally start with a, with a hymn or a psalm um, mm. and we'll sing. So our, our guys are used to this. So we were singing around the campfire and it sounded great. Well, the cabin we were staying at belongs to one of our elders. And they were up there a couple days later. Uh, he and his wife were up there, and his wife went for a walk. And uh, one of the neighbors, a neighbor woman, uh, stopped her and said, Hey, can I tell you something? She goes, The other night, I was, I was in my cabin, and I heard singing. And, and I, I stopped everything I was doing, and I, I opened the window, and it was men singing. And she goes, I haven't heard men singing in forever. And then she said, and the next morning I was, I was vacuuming the cabin and I heard it again. So I stopped vacuuming and I just sat and listened to the men singing. Hmm. We had no idea this was going on. That's really neat. But just, just testimony to what you're saying, Matt. Music hmm. needs to be at the heart of the Christian home and mm-hmm. our men need to take, um, take the steps to do that. We, you know, we should do a whole podcast on music. No, that'd be great. So we'll we'll make a note and do that. Well, let's get to the second question that Lee asks. Uh, the second question that he asks is with regard to the covenants. Uh, he says that they're going to be having a Sunday school class on the covenants. Now, again, this the uh, the question here might have been from several months back. So I apologize if we didn't get to you before you taught the class. But uh, he was wondering about the relationship between the covenants. And the ordinary means. I think Matt, you and I talked about this before. Uh, before we started recording, and the first thought that came to my mind was that the ordinary means pop up in every covenant. That that's the mm-hmm. way God works is through preaching, um, through calling either prophets or pastors or uh, fathers in the you know the church the. Uh, the fathers of Israel, the patriarchs, mm-hmm. um, calling them to to preach, to bring God's word. God would speak to them, and then they were to speak the word. Uh, prayer, obviously, uh, the sacraments, which change in mm-hmm. in the various covenants, but God always gives those those very physical, very tangible, substantial ways of worshiping Him uh, that help both help us in our weakness and communicate to us the deeper truths of God. So I think that's the first relationship, mm-hmm. is that all of the covenants, you know, even even pre-fall... There was a word, wasn't there? There was, there there was, was a sacrament. Word, the tree. There was sacrament. You follow that line of, yeah, there yeah. was communion in the garden. Communion with God. Yeah. yeah absolutely. So yep. it's they all had these elements. God has God who is unchanging has not cease to work through these means. They're the same means. They mm-hmm. just have a variety of, um, not applications, but they have a variety of ways in which they're carried out in in the various covenants. Now, you know, that's comparison between the covenants, you know, pre-fall covenant, covenant of works, uh, versus post-fall covenant of grace. But also, if you get down into Davidic 
uh, Abrahamic, Noahic covenants, you see the same things, uh, mm-hmm. the same things happening. I think that there's one other way uh, in terms of personal application that I think between the covenants and the ordinary means. The covenants reveal God's faithfulness to us, uh, particularly in Christ, uh, the guarantor, uh, as Hebrews puts it very memorably, of the new covenant, the one who takes on the obligations of the covenant himself for us. He is the covenant uh, keeper. The covenant keeper, exactly. Um, so he, we got two problems. Um, where we have not fulfilled all righteousness and we've done sin. We've not loved our neighbors, uh, we've not loved God uh, perfectly or our neighbors completely, uh, but Jesus did for us and died for our not keeping uh, covenant with God. So uh, the covenants reveal God's faithfulness to us even despite our unfaithfulness. I think one of the ways, interestingly, in terms of personal application and church ministry, that the covenants and the ordinary means are related, besides what Sean said, that the ordinary means are in each covenant, is that our use of the ordinary means is a reaction to God's covenantal faithfulness. That it's our way of saying, uh, we're grateful that you were faithful. Uh, We will choose by grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, to respond to your faithfulness with faithfulness. To choose your means, not our means, um, hmm. and so I think that that it, it, it's that one relationship is that we react appropriately to God's faithfulness that we find uh, in the covenants. I think that's powerful because that I mean that goes back to our whole series that we just did on dependence. Mm-hmm. You know what we're saying is, I'm giving up myself. I'm sacrificing myself. Because I know that that is the only way. Unless I die, I cannot live. Mm. Well put. I think, is there anything else we'd like to add? I, I mean, I think that uh, that gives no, a, probably, a broad... Yeah, this other question we probably need to get to. Yeah. Um, well, then let's move on to the third question. Lee, if we didn't fully answer that, hey, come back and we'll, we'll, catch, uh, we'll catch up with your question again at the next, uh, when we do the next Q&A podcast. Uh, third question this month comes from Robert, and uh, uh, Robert asks if we would comment on a specific definition of worship, uh, particularly as it relates to corporate worship. And so, uh, what are you, let me read the rest of his question, and then I will read the quotation that he gives us. He asks, what I'd like to understand is... Is this quote an accurate definition of worship and what implications it might have for how we quote unquote do church? Particularly, how does it fit within an ordinary means approach or does it fit at all versus a more contemporary approach to church? And then he asks, is there a better definition for worship? Okay, so here's the definition of, of worship that he gives, he's, he's pulled this out of a context, which I believe, Matt, you've found that context online. I have. Um, yep. And as well as its context broadly in the church, this language comes from a particular Bible teacher. So here's, here's the quote, and, and again, his question is, is this an accurate definition of worship? Is there a better definition of worship? How does this fit into an ordinary means ministry? So here's the quote. Worship consists essentially of an inner experience of the satisfaction of our souls in God over and above all other joys. So let me let me read that again, just in case you don't have... Do, do we have rewind anymore? Did that go away with uh, tapes? Um, yeah, well, yeah you got to kind of grab your mouse and kind of... You know, skip click, it back just a little click bit. Click and hold, yeah. yeah so here, we're going to rewind. Here's the quote again. Worship consists essentially of an inner experience of the satisfaction of our souls in God over and above all other joys. So is that, so first question is, is that an accurate definition of worship? Certainly in the individual experience of a person, it is. Um, it is. It's uh, this is this is a quote from uh, Legacy Bible Church. Uh, it was used in um, the description on their uh, actually their feed site. Since we we're talking about feeds earlier, um, for a sermon, um, I t- 
took the liberty of going to their site and finding out what their statement on worship is. It's a statement that's very much been influenced, quite obviously, um, by uh, John Piper, particularly as he would talk about worship in Desiring God, in particular Chapter 4, in terms of worship, which is, if you've not read it, exceptional. And you should read it. It's available for free online as a PDF, and I have no problem at all <laughs> plugging it to you because it's, in fact, the leadership of our church is considering it this very weekend uh, that we're recording this um, at a retreat because we have found it so helpful and, and convicting and deep, um, deep waters in terms of worship. Probably the tension in the question comes from this. Uh, as Sean said earlier, modernism basically said that spirituality is about the individual. Postmodernism is saying is that spirituality is about the community, even uh, in uh, the pagan lie that is most prevalent today, that it's us in our interaction with uh, the circle of life and whether we're in harmony or in disharmony uh, with that, whether we're causing harm to that circle or we're ensuring its uh, cyclicity. Um and one of the things that modernism did in terms of worship was uh, it emphasized the the personal worship of the individual and set that against the worship of the community. So, for example, both Sean and I were discipled in Campus Crusade for Christ. Many, many benefits to that ministry, and both of us highly benefited from our experience there. However... One of the things that we saw happen was that many times people would view their own personal devotional life and the Bible study that they would have with Crusade as sufficient, and they wouldn't attend church, in that they didn't have a view for the communal aspect of Christianity. Um, postmodernism, I think, has dealt a blow to that, helpfully, as Sean said, in trying to bring the two of these back together again. So in terms of a definition of corporate worship, um, of course, it doesn't work because it's something about the individual. But let's think about it this way. What makes for good corporate worship? Uh, You'd expect from us, being that this is the Ordinary Means podcast, to say it's something that centers on the ordinary means, that we pray the Bible, we sing the Bible, we read the Bible, we preach the Bible. I think I missed one. Um, pray. So it would be a service where... Pray, pray the Bible? Pray the Bible. It would be a service where those things are front and center. What makes for good worship, though? It's when the people who are gathered there are enamored with God. They're there to sing the Bible, read the, hear the Bible read, sit under preaching, and to pray the Bible... Uh, in concert with the one who leads prayer up front, because they love God. They want to delight themselves in the Lord. They want to come before him with fear and trembling, Psalm 2. They recognize that this is a king who is holy and also merciful in Christ. And so although this, I don't think, is a sufficient definition for uh, what corporate worship is, it is the definition, in my mind, of what it is that an individual worshiper brings with them to corporate worship, which is they're enamored with God. They love God. They want to come delight in him. And when you have a room of people who want to delight in God and who willingly ally themselves to the form of worship as it's given on that day, and they choose to jump into and participate in with their love of God and their delight in him, the elements of worship together um that's amazing worship you mentioned that this language goes back to piper it really goes farther because piper's just getting this from edwards right he's getting this from Ed, uh john edwards, edwards is getting it from the scriptures yeah oh absolutely absolutely but edwards says in religious affections uh, edwards talks about the fact he he asks the question why do we sing so this this actually ties into what we said earlier he asks the question, why do we sing? And the answer is, is because it affects us. That's, that's Edward's answer, is we sing because it affects us, and God is more pleased, more glorified in us when we are affected by him mm. than when we simply know him. Right. And that's, that's Edward's language, not mine. So th- I think that is... You're right. In terms of the individual, um, this is this is this is probably as uh, you know as good a definition as as any. Uh, defining worship is always tricky. 
mm-hmm. uh, particularly defining worship when you're trying to, when you're asking the question, is it individual, is it corporate, is tricky because, as I, I've often said this, I've probably even said this on this podcast, that when th- there are two extremes vying for the throne, the answer is very often in the middle. That Within that, Christian controversies, yeah. Yes, that true worship is probably both individual and corporate. Mm-hmm. And not probably, it is both individual and corporate. Let me um, let me read a quote. Let me see if I can grab this book here. I have a quote from Ed Clowney where he talks about this very, very issue, and I think helpfully. Um, he says, In corporate worship, we experience the meaning of union with Christ. So he's talking about corporate worship. In corporate worship, we experience the meaning of union with Christ. We worship most fully when we together hear his words to us and encourage one another to grow in grace and in witness to the world. The Lord Mm. is present among us in corporate worship. By the power of his spirit, he assures us that we are his and he is ours. In worship together... The Pentecost promise is renewed, not in visible flames, but in the presence of the Spirit who makes intercession for us as we pray. To be sure, the witness of the Spirit is also individual, bearing witness with our spirits that we are the Lord's. Yet the Spirit who makes individual believers into temples of the Spirit also makes the church into his temple, 1 Corinthians 3 and 6. Union with Christ is the secret of both. I thought that was a very helpful quote in terms of saying the answer is not one or the other, it's both, because both of the Spirit's work. Absolutely. Well put. And you know what's interesting? As much as we would resist such an emotional definition of worship, in one sense, um, a sure way to have worship that blesses nobody is to have no one emotionally involved with God and just basically going through the motions. Uh, and yet that is uh, what so frequently happens. If, we're, if we just are deadly honest, most people are just, they're voting present. Hmm. Uh, they're not actually engaged with God. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why, one, we turn away from the ordinary means. Because we feel like it's dead, and so we need to liven it up somehow. We, it's obviously not working, so we need to do something quite different. Um, so and so I think that this so it's, 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 it's by us actually not making use of the ordinary means in preparation to come to worship with something to offer our love for God, our delight in Him, that actually leads us away from the ordinary means. And the inverse, of course, is also the case. Yeah, I think that's I, I think that's right. I think that we and this is this is the struggle of a pastor is that we look out into a congregation and we we want as we preach on a Sunday morning we want to affect and it isn't that just we want to affect them although I'm sure many pastors struggle with the pride mm-hmm. but it's that we want God to affect them we want to see them growing what if somebody came to you you know what if what if uh i just use an example that um you know a, a husband blew up at a wife and what if that man came to his wife and he said to his wife completely stone-faced i'm sorry i shouldn't have yelled mm-hmm. no There's emotion a, to it at all no though. emotion to it there, there's a different. Uh, what, what do we say of that man? We say he's not truly repentant. We say he is. Uh, perhaps he's on Prozac. <laughs> we mm-hmm. say, you he's know, numb. he's numb. Right. Um, and, and it may be that he's seeking to do the right thing. You know, and maybe inside he's praying that the emotions will follow. We certainly don't want to do, him to do it because of emotions, and we certainly don't want him to fake emotions, but at the same time, genuine repentance is the repentance of an affected individual. It's, it's that repentance which leads to godliness. 
Absolutely. And we, and we have to realize that that which grabs our emotions directs uh, our lives. You and I, Sean, every single person that listens to this, we do in every single moment what we feel like. Now, that's horrendously convicting. Mm. Because, of course, what we feel like flows out of our hearts. So if we feel like doing sin, it's because our hearts are sinful and they push us towards bowing down to idols instead of the true God. So I'm not saying that's an easy thing to say or live. But we do in every moment do what we're most emotionally attracted to. Hey, Matt, could you hold on for just a second? I'm going to go eat a piece of chocolate cake. Uh, and I, I don't really feel like doing the podcast. I feel like eating chocolate cake right now. It's um, what Matt is saying. Know, so if we're, yeah, if we're, you're absolutely right. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just to say. I'm just saying what, what you're saying is is absolutely correct. Uh, we do what we most feel like, and that now that in itself can be deceptive. But when we can, and I think this is why so many particularly among conservative evangelical churches, we, we shy away from emotions because we're scared of the dangers of emotions. Mm-hmm. But we miss the fact that we're called, that's, that's why Edward says that's why so much of the Bible is about the need to sing, is because God wants us affected by him. Mm-hmm. In fact, if we're not affected by him, I wonder if we know him at all. Because there's nobody who has an interaction with God in the scriptures who goes away unaffected. Yeah. It's I'm finding I'm unaffected because I'm just stow sinking shallow. Mm. That's my problem. Mm. You know, I, I want to um, give Robert a couple of the things. He, he, he asks the question, is there a better definition of worship? And obviously, we want a definition of worship that's going to include both the individual and the corporate. And uh, in our last month's podcast, we talked about books. I want to refer us back to just a couple of those books. I know, Matt, you're going to agree with me on on both these cases, that these are both books that need to be on your shelf. Uh, You need to have a copy of these. Uh, The first one is is Worship by the Book by D.A. Carson. And as I've said before, this book is worth the price of the first chapter by D.A. Carson. in which Just the intro. Just just the intro. I think it's actually the first chapter. I don't think it's just the intro. But he... I'm checking now, turning backwards, backwards, because it's long. No, it is cha- it's chapter one. Okay. But he he spends the whole chapter defining worship in one of the most clear presentations I have ever heard. Mm. And he, he, as he gets to the end, as he climaxes this chapter, I just want to read you a little bit of, of what he says and then how he defines worship. Um, he quotes a fellow by the name of Robert Shaper. I've never heard of this fellow, but he says that Robert Shaper asserts that worship, like love, is characterized by an intuitive simplicity. And then he, in, in parentheses, he defines what he means by that. He says, everybody knows what worship is, just as everybody knows what love is. Now, I, I think that's a great little quote, because in defining worship... Really, we're, we're defining something that we all know inherently. And we all do inherently. And we all do In inherently. every moment of every day. We are worshiping. Absolutely. He then says, uh, I guess this is still this fellow, Robert Shaper, he says, he asserts that worship, uh, like love, is characterized by intuitive simplicity and that it's also characterized by phil- philosophical complexity. That is, the harder you press to unpack love or worship, the more difficult the task becomes. Mm. Which I, this, this chapter is so very, very helpful. Mm-hmm. Worship, he says, embraces, this is Carson now, worship embraces relationship, attitude, act, and life. We mm. may attempt the following definition. Now, here is his definition. It's lengthy. I will, uh, I'll read a little bit of it here, and you go by the book. He says, worship is the proper response of all moral, sentient beings to God, ascribing all honor and worth to their creator God precisely because he is worthy, delightfully so. Mm. This side of the fall, human worship of God properly responds to the redemptive provisions that God has graciously made. 
while all true worship is God-centered, Christian worship is no less Christ-centered. Empowered by the Spirit and in line with the stipulations of the New Covenant, it manifests itself to all our living, finding its impulse in the Gospel, which Mm -hmm. restores our relationship with our Redeemer God, and therefore also with our fellow image-bearers and co-worshippers. Such worship... good. One, we got a couple more lines here. Such worship, therefore, manifests itself both in adoration and in action, both in the individual believer and in corporate worship, which is worship offered up in the context of the body of believers who strive to align all the forms of their devout ascription of all worth to God with a panoply of new covenant mandates and examples that bring to fulfillment the glories of antecedent revelation and anticipate the consummation. That is a marvelous definition. Mm-hmm. And if I was, if I had to shrink all that down, mm. I think what I would shrink that down to what is said in the second book that I'm going to mention, and that's Hughes Oliphant Old's book, uh, Worship Reformed According to the Scripture, where he says simply this, Worship is revelation and response. Mm. Mm. Or to Revelation or to put it in, who God is, who yep. He revealed Himself to be for us in Christ, particularly in, in salvation, particularly yep. in salvation, because Old says in that the same chapter that I got that quote from, Old says that worship is God's saving work among us. Mm. 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 So, so good, good thoughts. I, I think we, um, I think we've covered these questions. Again, you're you're welcome to. Give us some more questions in the blog. Um, we'll be back. Let's see. This is this is our July podcast. We'll be back in August, Lord willing. And uh, Lord willing, you'll be back. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you to all of our our committed listeners. I think we're up to six or seven listeners now. And it may I, be a few more than that. It might be a few. Not more many. Than that. Yep. It's exciting to see, and it's exciting that we can serve you in this way. Matt and I just enjoy getting together and talking. This is where this whole podcast began three years ago when we said, you know, we sit here and talk for hours about these topics. Why not record it? Absolutely. Why not let other people pool their uh, idiocy with us? <laughs> exactly. Well, um, while you're while you're pooling, or, or to put put our idiocy on display. Put our idiocy on display. There you go. So for that, in that regard, uh, hopefully we have pointed you not to ourselves, but hopefully we've mm. pointed you uh, to the God of grace uh, who works with us through his ordinary means. So the Lord bless you as you continue uh, to seek him through his ordinary means. 